You're listening to the IPHC Leadership Cast. Well, I'm Cody Phillips, and today we are here with Pastor Steve Ely of Passion Church in Oklahoma City. And Pastor Steve, thanks for being here today. I appreciate appreciate it. it. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I just want to ask you a few questions. Um, You were at once um, a graduate of Southwestern Christian. Right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, then you embarked the Carolinas, youth pastored for a while. Yeah, I went to South Carolina, to McCall, South Carolina, and youth pastor there for 22 months, and then I moved to Greenville, North Carolina, and I was the youth pastor at Greenville First Church there for six and a half years. Oh, wow. And then you moved back to Oklahoma City for Southwestern. That's right. I moved back to be the campus pastor and to be the director of admissions, and I did that for two years. Okay. And now, or I guess you're a national youth director, correct? Yeah, right after working there at Southwestern, I was approached and asked if I would consider uh, becoming the national youth director. And after praying about it, accepted it and uh, served in that role for seven and a half years. Wow. And now in 2007, you launched out for Passion Church. Yeah. um, In 2006, at the end of 2006, about September, really felt strongly that the Lord was leading uh, my wife Julie and I to plant a church and went to uh, Talmadge Gardner, who was uh, the executive director of CEM at the time or Christian Education at the time, and told him what we wanted to do, but also informed me that it was going to be August of 2007 before we planted. And he was gracious enough. It's one of those things I'll always be thankful for because I really had no other options. Just, you know, if you're going to jump out and plant a church, had no support financially or right. personally. And he he went to bat for me, and uh, I was allowed to finish out my year and pre- prep a team and, and all that stuff while still fulfilling the role of National Youth Director for that year. And it, it really made a huge difference. Uh, for my my personal family, right. my immediate family was a major deal for us, and so we worked that last year, kind of doing both, um, doing private meetings with my <laughs> my team and recruiting a team and right. all that, and getting ready for the launch in August. So it was a well, interesting year. Let's start from scratch. Then. Okay. Let, let's say there's another leader out there that may be listening to this that feels like they need to plant a church or leave the position there and to go start a new ministry. Sure. How important and how do you approach that conversation that you had with Bishop Garner? Um, well, I was, let me back up and say that, first of all, I think um, if you're going to plan a church, uh, slower is better. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we worked from roughly December to August to plant. I think that's a, a little fast. Now, looking back on it and learning what I've learned, I think that's a little quick for most people. Most people can't pull that off and shouldn't try to pull that off. I honestly think it takes about 18 months to position yourself correctly, financially, spiritually, with the team, location, all the things that you're going to need, about 18 months. Um, that just wasn't the timeline that I could do. Um, but when we felt that leading, the first conversation I had, was, of course, was with my wife. Um, it stemmed out of, uh, really out of my role as National Youth Director as traveling and, and experiencing local churches and then uh, serving here in Oklahoma City in a local church. Even though I was National Youth Director, my wife was leading worship in a local church, River of Life, right. uh, Pastor Richard and Linda Goat here in Oklahoma City, and I was serving as an elder. And what took place in our heart that led up to that... This And I think this is an important element of this because you can't just... Uh, just say, well, I'm going to plan a church. I think you have to have the, the, the call right. and, and 
for me, what the way that happened was as I was traveling on the national level, I started to recognize, and there's nothing wrong with this, and I believe strongly that there's a place for what takes place on the national level. I think it's a crucial element. But for me, what I recognized was that we get one shot at people at different events, Youth Quest, um, mm-hmm. Accelerant, things like that, Youth Camps, you may get them for a week, uh, revivals, uh, camp meetings. But for the most part, as a national leader, you get to impart into people's life one time. It's a one-and-done one deal. And I recognized that on the national level, I was really more involved in inspiration as opposed to transformation. Not that transformation doesn't take place, but my job was to lead and inspire. But I, I started to come back to grips with that real transformation takes place on the local level. It's as you're walking through life with people on a day-in, day-out day basis that change takes place. And so that was what was stirring within, within us. And so I had to have two very uh, painful, Not I think when we say painful, we think bad. But it wasn't a bad conversation. It was a tough conversation. Yeah. One was with my pastor, Richard Goad. And, and I sat down because I was going to be planning in the same town. And I had to have his blessing. And I honestly believe that we teach people to, to enter well, and we never teach people how to exit well. Right. And so what happens is you burn bridges that you're going to need to, to cross yeah. over. And you may not cross That's over good. them for years. But so I knew that I had to exit well. And so I went and sat down with Pastor Richard first and told him what I felt like God was stirring in my heart. And I honestly looked at him and said, Pastor Richard, if you feel like by me planting a church in the same community, even though we're going to do our best to put geography between us, um, if you feel like that's going to negatively impact the church we're serving in now, I will disobey God and go work at Starbucks as opposed to planting a church. If you feel like right. and being the man of God he is, he said, no, I would never ask you to disobey God. you got to do what's in your heart. And he gave me his blessing. And so that's been really crucial for us because we felt like we exited well, uh, the very best that we could. Now, you know how churches are. Not everybody was happy with that decision. and right. may never be. Right. And, and in any situation where you're in the same community, I get it. There's tension there. Um, but... On, I knew going out of that that Pastor Richard and myself, we had to be on the same page. And I think we accomplished that. The second conversation was with Bishop Garner, was to sit down with him. And um, it, there's a backstory. The backstory is is that when I accepted the role as National Youth Director, in my initial conversation with the uh, in, individual, which was Paul Howell, who was in charge of uh, Christian education at that time, my mantra didn't change from day one to the end, and that was when they asked me if I would serve, I said, I will serve until it begins to impact my own children. I'm not going to go out and try to win everybody else's kids and lose my own. Mm-hmm. And so at the time that I was serving with Bishop Gardner, my uh, oldest son was, um, he would have been, uh, he's 16 now, so uh, I'm terrible at math. So, uh, so we've been gone for six years, so that's 10. So he was about 10 years old, okay. and my youngest was seven. And I was starting to miss things. I was missing ball games. I couldn't mm-hmm. take them to school. I, I was gone all the time. I was traveling about 100 days a year. And so I went down with Bishop and said, look, I'm going to plant a church. Um, this is what I feel like God's called me to do, um, and here's why. And I talked to him about the transformation issue, number one. And then number two, I talked to him about I need to be here for my children. And fortunately for me, Bishop Garner had, at the time, had young children at home, too, and understood Mm -hmm. completely. And he was completely gracious. The odd thing about all that is um, I'm not the most emotional guy in the world uh, anyway, but all of that took place with very little, you know, 
weeping, crying, this is the <laughs> end kind of thing. But then right. on the, the evening that I ministered for the last time as the National Youth Director, which was at a fine arts festival that we did, and I preached when I walked off the platform after delivering my heart to the young people, I just broke down like a baby and realized that that was an end of a, a, a season and an era of my right. life that, man, it, it was an unbelievable experience. And I enjoyed a lot of um, of the travel and meeting people and all that. But so it was too very painful, but not again, not in a bad way. Just right. the fact that you are making significant changes and and you don't want to hurt people doing it, but you right. also have to follow what God's called you to do. So that's how. But I, you know, I've since then I've um, counseled with young men and women who feel called to plant a church who are involved in a local church and they're planning close and I've talked to them very strongly about you have to do it right you have to exit well you have to put up boundaries and that uh, the senior pastor that you're leaving agrees to and let them set some of those boundaries so that you don't cause conflict unnecessary pain right. and conflict for them but it's difficult there's no easy way to have those conversations right. you know but you have to have them the worst case scenario is to walk out and do it and then the, <laughs> you fit the, the pastor or your boss or whoever feels like you didn't communicate well right and they can be a real help to you as a as opposed they can also be a, a significant enemy to you if you don't do yeah. it right so that's how we did it so how did you choose a team like what, what did you look for did you already have certain people in mind how long did it take to assemble them um, again, I think we did it really fast. Um, it would just happen to be the way it worked for us, but um, I think it ought to be a slow process. We did it by individually approaching people and asking them if they would consider being part of the team. We, we specifically recruited. All of it was based on relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't invite anybody to be a part of what I call my, comp- my core team that I didn't already have relationship with. Um, some people do. I didn't. I feel like they were going to be trusted with the inner workings of what we were going to try to accomplish and also the risk of what we were doing. Um, and so I uh, individually approached them. My wife and I would sit down with them and have coffee or dessert or whatever and share the vision of the church, what we wanted to try to accomplish, and then we would ask them. As far as recruiting, to, to what did I recruit? I, I recruited to basically two things. I recruited, well, three things. I recruited to um, roll I, I specifically selected people that could fill certain roles because mm-hmm. we knew that to launch in the Oklahoma City area, area you, you, we weren't going to be able to do everything, all the churches that have been around forever have done, but there were certain things we would need. And we right. would need quality sound, quality tech, uh, children's ministry, quality praise and worship, uh, quality uh, greeting, ushering, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And so we recruited to by relationship to people that could fill those roles to start with and then ask them to train themselves out of a job, basically. Second, I recruited diversity. Um, um, Our original um, vision was to have a church that is multicultural, multiracial. And you can, in my opinion, you cannot accomplish that if your core team is all Caucasian. (laughs) It doesn't work. So so we recruited specifically too based upon diversity and so we had in our original core team which was uh, us plus six couples um, we had uh, Caucasian we had uh, Hispanic we had African American and we did that on intentionally and from day one we've intentionally had that same diversity represented in our leadership even after I dismissed uh, the core team from the core team role after two years we we disbanded that core team and put in a leadership team even at that point it's still 
reflects that diversity. And on stage every Sunday, we reflect that diversity because that's who we want it to be. And just saying you want to be that, right. but not showing them that, it doesn't work. And then the third element that I recruited to was um, a, a um, diversity in age. I wanted mm. young, we, our goal is 19 to 30 year olds. That's who we're after. That's the style of service we have. Right. It's loud, it's high <laughs> energy, all that. The reason being is that's what young people are attracted to. But at the same time, I knew that for our church to be stable, we couldn't just have young people. And so on our core team, when we first started, we had um, uh, some folks that were just fresh out of college uh, in their early 20s, but we also had some uh, a couple that was in their 50s. And uh, again, even though we've shifted in my leadership to a leadership team, that same diversity is still reflected. Right. The real challenge now is reaching back and pulling younger folks in leadership <laughs> roles because we're all aging. We've been right. in six years now, so everybody that was 20 then is almost 30. And so I really have to rely on my um, youth and college ministry mm -hmm to continue to recruit to that younger age group and that's the challenge so how do you how do you get that older generation and sorry for stereotyping but how do you get them to buy into the vision if you said we're specifically getting after 19 to 30 year olds how do you get the 50 year old to actually buy in give their time serve um for us uh two things one we were very up upfront about what we were wanting to accomplish right. so it wasn't a surprise to them when it was loud it wasn't a surprise <laughs> yeah. to them you know i, I think that's part of what, where we go wrong sometimes is we ask them to be a part of something, but we're not honest about what it's mm. going to be. So then when they get there, they don't like it and they don't feel like they have any options. Right. We were very upfront about what it was going to right. be. Um, and then second, I think you just have to convince them um, in, in the sharing of your vision that, you know what, you've had, uh, it's not like your life is over at 50. Lord knows I'm approaching that one quickly. So, I, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, I've had my experiences in church, church um, when I was a teenager, a lot of church the church I attended was slanted towards me well now it's time mm -hmm. at our age to turn and slant it back towards the mm -hmm. younger generation if we, you know, and if you can find people that are that have a mindset to reach the next generation then you're going to be okay um, not everybody can buy in that uh, and right. I get it but uh, I mean we have people all the time tell us you're too loud you know right. don't like the lights and stuff like that and I'm alright with that it's, we're not for everybody but there are people my dad my my parents are in their late 60s my mom just turned well she won't she wouldn't want me to tell the world she just turned <laughs> she's not in her 60s anymore and they attend because they recognize that uh now this is really about reaching another generation and in particular their grandchildren right. and so i i think there are people out there that really church is just for them and you're never going to convince them mm -hmm. that they should make this kind of sacrifice on a Sunday. Their church is for them. But there are people out there that are older that are ready to turn around and reach back and get mm -hmm. their grandchildren and their children back in church or in church for the first time. Mm -hmm. So what, what would you say was the most challenging part through this whole process till six years now? Um, well, when people ask me about church planning, I always say, uh, first of all, if you'd have told me 15 years ago I was going to plant a church, I would have laughed at you. Um, I never saw myself as a church planner. I thought one day I might take an organized church. So right. with that background and that canvas against which to paint on, I would the way I categorize church planning is it's the scariest, uh, most challenging, uh, frustrating, lonely, rewarding exciting thing I've ever <laughs> done in my life, above. all mixed in. It, it just depends yeah. on what day it is. 
And I think the real challenge is, is you got to put people around you that on your scared days, they're, they're brave. And on their afraid days, you're, you're ready to charge hell with a water pistol. You've got to have a real, I think the danger is people try to do this by themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the ones that fail. Uh, for the most part, there are some exceptions, but most of us are not the exception. Most of us are the rule. Yeah. And you just can't do this by yourself because it is such a roller coaster. It's up and down. There's great days. Your launch day is great. But then the next Sunday, when you're half of what your launch was, um, if you don't have a solid team around you still pushing, going, we can do this, we can do this, you want to quit. So I think for us, the most challenging things has been, I, I've thought about this on numerous occasions. I think the, the number one challenge, and people aren't honest about this, but I, I, I'm straight up about it, financial. Yeah. It's a huge financial challenge. And I was blessed to have some financial support from different entities, the denomination, the conference, some local churches. Mm-hmm. But even with their support, when your income is based on uh gathering our congregation and in particular in a church plant where you're trying to win people to the Lord not that traditional churches aren't but you're specifically right. trying to gather a congregation from scratch and hopefully doing it not by just transferred growth but by conversions then you got to train them how to give and a lot of them don't know how to give and so even to this day six years later that's the scariest part of it is the financial when your livelihood your school, your 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 house your car all that's tied up into right. how faithful people get that that part's scary Traditional churches that have, um, and traditional not by style, traditional that have been, maybe maybe a better word is established churches, mm-hmm. who have a long-running budget and long-running faithful givers, I don't think they quite understand the nightmare it is from Sunday to Sunday. <laughs> it is scary. Um, and so that that's a real challenge. The second one that nobody told me about, and I still don't even hear people talk about this, but I'm going to tell you, it is a reality. It is a reality that I still fight to this day. And that is is that I think one of the most significant challenges of church planning is that church planning is lonely. Mm-hmm. It is a lonely endeavor. And even with an incredible team around me, um, I, went, I, I still battle a feeling of being out there by myself to some degree. And I think it's partly because those that, are, that have never planted a church don't understand Right. You can, you you can talk to them about planning a church, and it's like deer in headlights. They they try to understand, but they haven't done it, so they don't have any frame of reference. They they took a, uh, an established church, they moved into right. this. All the letterheads already done, the tithing envelopes are printed, the youth ministries in place, all that stuff. They don't understand what it's like to walk into something that you're building from scratch, and so they can't relate. And then on the flip side of that, you turn to church planners that are doing the same thing you do, you're doing and thinking that they would be able to provide some level of understanding. And what I discovered was they're so overwhelmed mm-hmm. and in the fight themselves that they most don't have time or any energy left to reach out to somebody that's starting from scratch. And so you find yourself caught right in the middle where people don't understand it because they've never done it. Right. Or the people that are doing it are so busy and so overwhelmed themselves, they don't have time to help you um, deal with what you're feeling emotionally. So it is a it is a lonely, lonely experience. It mm-hmm. really is. It's just the nature of the beast, I'm afraid. So, so what do you do on the Monday morning after the Sunday where you didn't feel like we just knocked the ball out at the park? It was a home run. How do you... <laughs> 
Because I know there's those mornings where you're just like, what am I doing? Yeah. I just wish I could go back do a normal job. No, I get it. I mean, even after six years, I still have those right. days. Um, uh, again, I think the team that you have around you is inc- incredibly important. If you all feel that way on a Monday morning, you're probably going to quit. <laughs> so you have to have some people in the group that uh, are at various levels. Mm-hmm. And, and for us, that's what happened. Our, on the days I wanted to quit, I would have people on my team saying, this is the best thing we've ever been a part of. And then on the days they're saying, we want to go back to the church we came from, uh, I'm up. And so we offset. And then the other thing I think you have to, as difficult as it is, even though I said it's it's lonely, you have to intentionally pursue relationships that you can call on uh, during those times. I think the thing I learned was that not everybody you thought was going to be for you is really for you. Mm. Um, Not that they're against you. They're just not for you. They don't understand best friends, good friends that you think are all going to just come out of the woodwork and not only attend your church and not only support you financially, but they're going to call you every morning to make sure you're okay. They they don't. You right. just got to go into it knowing that. But at the same time, there are people that you didn't think that would be for you that do. And so I think you just have to intentionally pursue relationships that you can call on when you're down and say, hey, man, I'm down. And, uh, and just walk through it. Um, and then, and you know, this is not new, uh, but you can't make decisions about what you're going to do on Monday morning. Right. You just can't do it. You have to wait, you know. We touched on this earlier before we started recording. Um, was there ever a time where the ball started rolling for Passion Church and you're building momentum and everything's going right, but you look back hindsight and you're like, hey, maybe we took a different vision than what we thought we did? No, I mean, for me, uh, I, I think... This, this is kind of how I've um, always been in one, one way. But another way, another thing is I learned it through the various churches I, I served through and, and watched, is I don't know that the vision, if you're going to be effective long-term, and, and I'm looking long-term, I, I didn't mm-hmm. want you know just a one-year thing. I, I want a, a long-term path with people. I don't think the vision, if, if it's a vision from God, I don't think it can change. I think... Um, the methods to reach the vision, the programs uh, around the vision can change. But for me, we've been very true to what we said we wanted to accomplish in the beginning. Um, and I, I think what happens, churches begin to flounder when the vision changes. Right. Because uh, then the people don't know where you're going. Di- uh, division, division, two visions. Right. If you're pulling rain every year setting a new vision for the church and I've been in churches that have done that they set a new vision for each year I, I think it just sends a really negative uh, message to people and people don't know what to commit to so for us the vision has remained same, the same from day one some of the things that are around the vision that uh, are used to accomplish the vision have changed um, and we tweak some things but the main vision of what we were trying to accomplish has not changed and we've been very true to that vision so pa- Passion Church geographically has changed locations twice. Twice. <clears throat> we started for six months in an event center on in northwest Oklahoma City. Right. We had exhausted every uh, building option we could find. Right. It was last ditch. And um, it was tough. I mean, we had to set up every week and uh, couldn't do a lot of things because we didn't have the facilities. And at the end of six months, the guy that owned the building said he wasn't going to renew my lease, and we panicked. We didn't have anywhere to go. And fortunately for us, we found a building directly across the street from where we were, and we had to go in and renovate it in a month's time. 
Uh, it was crazy. Over a Christmas break, <laughs> we killed ourselves. I was, my team was working 17, 18 hour days renovating. It was nuts. We pulled it off. We stayed in that facility for three and a half years. <clears throat> um, and then about uh, two, let's see, two years ago, uh, the conference offered me a building that was in major uh, disrepair. Air conditioners didn't work. The place was falling apart. And they said, do you want this building? It was four minutes away uh, from my Northwest building. And through prayer and talking to my leadership team, we accepted that building. But we said we wanted to do it as two campuses. And so for six months, from a, from a June, June 1st to the end of December, we actually did both campuses. And I would preach on my Northwest campus, jump in the car. Music would be going on in, in Bethany. Uh, in my second campus, I would walk in the door as the last song would end. I would preach. I'd say amen. My campus pastor would close. I'd jump back in the car and drive yeah. back to Northwest and oh preach the, the service in the other one. And it would have worked. Our challenge was we were so geographically close to each other that it was a mm -hmm. challenge because we had people shifting campuses, mm -hmm. which wasn't that bad. We were, we were learning to deal with it. Um, my issue was is that... Um, I pulled a lot of my strong leaders from my original campus to send to this new campus to get them going and uh, had a, a situation on my Northwest campus where I'd appointed somebody as a major leader in a role there and they had a moral failure. So I didn't have anybody on my Northwest campus holding it together. And so at the end of December, we made the decision to, we still had a year's lease on this other building, which was $5,000 a month. It was a lot of money. And so we made the decision to shut down our Northwest campus and move everything to our Bethany campus, mm -hmm. even if we were going to have to pay rent on a vacant building just sitting there. And so we did it as a step of faith, and immediately our attendance went up, our money went up, everything, when we got everybody together. Uh, Multi-site works for people. For us, that it, there was a momentum mm -hmm. thing. It was killing my team trying to do both. Right. Um, and so within a month's time, uh, they'd gotten another lease on that building and we got out of the contract on that building and it really relieved us. I was able to hire a full-time youth pastor and some things like that. So it was a real blessing to us. But uh, So we've moved twice. The event center where we started into the okay. renovated storefront and now into the facility we're in now. How, is, how important was it to get community buy-in? Like oh, when you're moving all over the place yeah. and now you're permanently there. Yeah, I think for us two things. Um, one was... Uh, we tried to do some community things where people would recognize where we were. We're very visible. We try to be very visible with advertising. I mean, we've tried everything: TV, <laughs> radio, yard signs, bus benches, car stickers, uh, license plates. We buy banners in all the high school gyms. Uh, we put signs up in the outfield of the local high school baseball wow. teams. I mean, we we literally try everything. And on purpose, you, you, you're trying to get people to know where you are. And it's worked for us. It's been really good for us, that part of it. So they kind of were following us um, and knew what, where we were. Um, <clears throat> doing the two campuses in one way hurt me a little bit, I think. And I think the reason we gained so much momentum was because in our original campus, it was a storefront. There's nothing wrong with storefront. But it's like one of my guys told me when he, he had been attending church and, and they switched to my Bethany campus. And I was like, why did y'all do that? And they said, because we, we used to feel like on Sundays we were coming to shop. And now we feel like we're coming to church because it was in a storefront. And they felt like this was more permanent. Um, so I think that has it's some, it says something to the community that you have your own standalone place. Now, 
there are going to be people out there that are going to plant in storefronts. It worked for us. It worked mm-hmm. for a season for us. And for some people, it'll work long term. But in our community, it, it was an, there are so many storefront church plants uh, around that I think um, it, it just didn't work. It didn't send the right message long term for our community. And when we moved into our standalone building, it seems to have gained some um, some respectability or some right. credibility with the community. I don't know, but it it was a, there's a definite difference from when we were in the storefront to where we are now. It's like people recognize, oh, they're going to be around a while, right. you know. So I, I don't know. It was an odd deal, but mm-hmm. community buy-in for us was huge. But by by doing the, two, I had to make so many adjustments to be able to pull off the two campus thing. We had to adjust our service times on my original campus, and. It was a little herky-jerky for people. They couldn't. Right. It was like they'd been attending six months, and all of a sudden you'd have to adjust the service times, and you had to shorten the service time because I had to get in the car and drive. It, it was a little tough for people to swallow all mm-hmm. that change. And so when we moved to the, to everything to one campus, uh, we've been we've done our best to make no significant changes on services and times and everything, although we just did change our service times to try to balance our two services out in attendance. But it was well well received, but it was the first major change we had made uh, to our service times in two years. Right. So uh, that that's how it's worked for us, you know. Okay. So let's say there's a church plant team listening to this right now, and you can only give them one word of advice, encouragement. What, what would you tell them? Wow. What would the one word be? Um, <clears throat> good gracious. There's a lot of words <laughs> floating around. I, I think for me, um, pace. Mm. That's probably it for me. I, I think people get so gung-ho, they go way too fast. Yeah. Or they get so bogged down, they go way too slow. <laughs> um, I think you have to find the right pace. And pace for me deals with the concept this is not a sprint what good does it do if you plan a church you can get it if you can gather a team and you have to be able to gather a team in fact I'd say that too if you can't gather a team to be a part of your core team then don't try to plan a church because if you can't gather 20 you're never going to gather 200 but my deal is is you got to go at a the right pace because the goal is, this is not a sprint you're you're not, what good does it do if you plan a church yeah. today and eight months from now, it explodes. Right. You do, you hurt and do more damage than good. I don't care how many people you want to the Lord. Um, <laughs> so I think for me, it's pace. You've got you've to build up front. Once you have that first Sunday service where you're going to continue to have services every week after that, it is hard at that point to make adjustments and to go back and undo and fix. So I would say slow down. Get your discipleship plan in place, your outreach plan in place, your teams in place, your systems in place, all of that. Map it all out. Mm-hmm. And if you need to have some preview services to give them an idea of what the church is going to be like, great. Let, let them get a taste. But there are going to be people that are going to push you, push you, push you. Come on, we need this. Yeah. We're going to have this. But once you pull the trigger and you say we're official and we're going to meet every Sunday from now on, it's really difficult to stop and go back and fix because then you have to undo and it's harder to do it. It's easier to do it right in the beginning, and hold people off until you get it right. And at the same time, you can't go slow so slow that you lose momentum and people start falling right. off. So, I, for me, the eighteen month I, I've discovered after doing this that about eighteen months, if you can 
gather a team and work with them. You can get all your systems in place and get it built, the, the foundation structured properly in about 18 months mm -hmm. and make that official launch and, and sell. But if you try to do it too fast, you're going to be having a lot of gaps and a lot of holes and a lot of mistakes. And if you do it too slow, people will start leaving you. So mm -hmm. pace, they got to do it at the right pace and, and they have to discover what that pace is for them. But I'm pretty adamant now. I'll, if you put me in a room with a church plant guy that's or girl that says I'm going to plant a church, I ask them for timelines now, yeah. and and want to see it all mapped out. And if they say, well, we don't have one, then I say you're not ready. And I will tell them I need an 18 month timeline. And that seems mm -hmm. that the people that have done that, um, that map it out like that, seem to to succeed. And those that won't put it on a timeline and just going to, well, we got a vision and God's. They fail miserably. <laughs> it, so pace, you got to have it all mapped out. That's good stuff. So, well, thank you for everything. Thanks, well, thanks for coming for on, and uh, we'll be praying for passion. Thank you for listening to the IPHC Leadership Cast. For more information on the Leadership Cast and other church-related resources, please visit www.iphc.org.